It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to Game Plan, a show about our lives at work. I'm Rebecca Greenfield, a reporter at Bloomberg, where I cover workplace culture. And I'm Sam Grobart. I'm a reporter at Bloomberg Businessweek, and I will be sitting in for the next few months while Francesca Levy is away on maternity leave. This week, we're talking about starting a business with your friends, which is a notoriously bad idea. Or maybe it's not. Later, we'll talk to the two best friends who co-founded online retailer of a kind, But first, let's talk about why it is such a bad idea. The road to success is littered with the corpses of friendships along the way. And I think you can look at some very successful companies that have sacrificed those friendships to potentially reach the level they've attained, including Apple, Facebook, and others. Yeah, I love the Facebook example because I love the movie The Social Network, and it is just about that. I mean, obviously, it's about the founding of Facebook, but really, it's about the dissolution of the friendship between Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo. I think it's really important here to note that timing has a lot to do with how a business formed by friends can affect that friendship. So in the case of The Social Network, we're looking at the birth of a company, and they're reaching this very critical juncture where the priorities of the business might actually oppose the priorities of the friendship. They're suggesting I was jealous of Eduardo for getting punched by the Phoenix and began a plan to screw him out of a company I hadn't even invented yet. Were you? Gretchen. Jealous of Eduardo. Sorry, Cy, would you mind addressing him as Mr. Saverin? Gretchen, they're best friends. Not anymore. Oh, we already went through this on the... And it would seem that more often than not, we're motivated as much by greed as by loyalty, and we will make decisions that benefit our business before they would benefit our friends or our relationships. Yeah, in the movie, you are you feel bad for Eduardo because he gets pushed out of the company and loses his friend, but Mark Zuckerberg probably made the right decision because Facebook is a valuable and successful company. And he made that decision because it needed more investment. It wasn't just, I'm going to screw over my friend to be mean. Right, although in the movie, they suggest there's a little bit of oh, that. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. And there may be some reprehensibleness you know, to be spread around and maybe much of it should go to Zuckerberg. But the point is, there was an opportunity to take on more investment and they needed that money to accelerate and move to the next step. Now, the fact that he decides to only dilute his friend's share of the business and not other people is a move. Although from a mercenary standpoint, you might say, but I need these other people and I can't dilute them because if I do, they'll walk. Right. And and Eduardo takes it so personally Because it's his friend and he assumes it's from all these other things that happen in their relationship outside the business. Which it may. Yeah, may or may not be. And I think that's just why it's so complicated and messy and why we're told it's such a bad idea. Absolutely. And and this isn't just anecdotal. There was a Harvard Business School study that looked at 10,000 founders at tech companies and life sciences companies and found that the least stable teams were friends. 
the more friendships there were, the higher turnover rate there was at the founders. Right. And there's another study that talked about how teams of investors at venture capital firms who started uh, as friends or with common backgrounds actually made poorer investment decisions than partners who didn't know each other at all. And I think part of what gets to this is this notion of diversity. Mm-hmm. Our friends are often very similar to us, and we share a lot of common history and maybe common points of view. That's why we're friends. Yeah. But when you're making business decisions, actually what you want, sort of like a Doris Kearns Goodwin team of rivals, you want different positions, you want different backgrounds, and friends usually don't have that. And there's also a fear if you do have a difference of opinion, you might not bring it up to your friend and then hold it in and then you'll explode later. I know that I have not gone into business with a friend, but I did try to start a podcast, not this podcast, with uh, my roommate. And we are still friends, but the podcast never got off the ground. And I think part of that was because we acted too much like friends. Right. So it's harder to focus. Yeah. You need someone to kind of kick each other in the pants, and nobody wants to do that to their friend. There's a line in the movie Moonstruck, which maybe existed prior, which is, don't shit where you eat. Right. There's a difference between what you do for work and what you do for friends. And yet so many friends go into business together, continue to do it, think they can overcome. Right. And again, it sounds like a good idea. And I've, you know, never gone into business with friends, but I've certainly worked at companies with friends, although that is a bit different because we're all part of a larger framework. Right. And, you know, there's sort of a common almost enemy which yeah. is the, the, our employer, <laughs> the man. except for here, of course. <laughs> yes, no. Actually, a lot of companies now are putting an emphasis on employees being friends with each other because they think it will help with productivity and engagement, my least favorite word. Yes. But yeah, so there's all these happy hours and activities for people to do. They try to make the workplace more social. Right. Which is an attempt to almost blur the lines, but in fact, you know, it's still work. It's still work. It's not the same as hanging out with your real friends. And work is not friendship, and friendship, hopefully, isn't work. Right. Unless you're our guests. So now would be a good time for us to introduce them. Claire and Erica are the co-founders of Of A Kind, and they're also best friends. They met while studying at the University of Chicago, where they both dated similar guys. In 2010, they went into business together, and six years later, they still call each other their best friends. So, how do you guys make it work? It's work. Yeah, it's, it's like, like any yeah. like serious relationship. It's, it's work. It is. When you got started, did you have second thoughts about this, being friends? Did people maybe warn you against it? Did you ever think, maybe this isn't a good idea? How did you feel about it at the outset? People definitely warned us about it. But I think that at that time, it felt crazy to us that people would go into business with someone who wasn't a friend. Oh, totally. With someone who they didn't know. Because the idea of putting all of your trust and faith in this person and spending all of your time with this person who you maybe have worked with kind of or, you know, were introduced to with by a mutual friend just felt nuts. We also had a really sort of specific type of relationship and friendship where we would talk about business a lot and had worked together on various projects in college. And I had a sense that like 
there weren't probably any other friends in my life that I would have started a business with, but it made a lot of sense to me to start a business with Erica. And I remember even telling my parents and them feeling the exact same way, like, yes, that makes total sense. We had similar sort of, I think, sensibilities about working style and discipline and things like that. I remember thinking right after we, like right when the business had launched, I was like, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to lose this friend and that will suck. I don't feel that way anymore. At this point, I'm like, if it doesn't work out, I know that the friendship will sustain. We had a very specific friendship in that we surely had mutual friends and mm-hmm. still have mutual friends, but we were mo- we were friends with each other, yes. like very specifically. We weren't like two people who were part of the same friend group that decided to pair off. And I think that that interpersonal connection was, was important. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that you couldn't imagine going into business with someone who isn't a friend. Mm-hmm. Because I think before you got here, we were talking about a lot of friend business relationships that go sour and certainly they thought that too Mm -hmm. but yours was working out and theirs didn't so I'm wondering if there's anything you did at the beginning to kind of ensure that the friendship would stay intact and the business relationship would work I think we do that more of that stuff now it's like now we sort of have the luxury of being able to think more about it and consider it just because we're in a sort of more stable place back then I don't know that we did what are you doing it, it, now? We see a management coach together, um, and that's We're really We're obsessed helpful. with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like couples counseling. Oh, it totally is. It's like marriage counseling um, combined with executive coaching. Um, <laughs> and it's really great, and it's really helpful. And it, it was like a conscious decision we made of like we'd thought a lot about our partnership. We'd talked a lot about our partnership and acknowledged what worked and what didn't about it, but never had the opportunity to sit down and actually work at it. Have there been things that have come out of those conversations that you're now putting into practice or, or thinking about more actively? Like what would be something that's maybe changed since you started talking to the management consultant? I mean, I think something that has surfaced for us through the years is this idea of the longer that we've had the business together, the more that people think of us as a unit, mm-hmm. um, the more that we've become Claire and Erica as like one breath. <laughs> you're a brand. Clarica. We're a yes, brand. Ex- Clarica, exactly. which yes. is an existing email <laughs> yes. address that okay. we have as a company. So we accept this in a lot of ways, but in other ways, you still want to feel like yourself and you still want to feel like you have an individual identity and how do you carve that out within the business how do you make sure that people understand the varying roles that you play and who is responsible for what and I think there's a fear in any partnership that outsiders or other people that you interact with will think like oh she's the one who does everything and that's the one that takes the backseat or whatever Um, and I think these are things that as the business has gotten older we've had the opportunity to work through we did once have somebody say to us, jokingly, but it, you can't joke with somebody like this. This is a long time ago. It was like, oh, so you're the smart one and you're the pretty one. And it Whoa. was so <laughs> awful. Okay. I, Who, which one should be more offended? That was the right. question. I don't yeah. know which one of us was supposed to be more offended. I, it, it, and it was awful. I mean, it took a really... <laughs> I mean, it was. In it, our relationship. Yeah. I'm the pretty, the pretty one. one. I'm the smart one. Yeah. But that was one of those moments. It was just so awful. It took so long, I think, to recover from. But it was at the same time one of those things that, you know, probably bonded us in some way to be able to be like, that was so foul and untrue. And we both know that that's untrue. And it was a moment where we got to sort of like reaffirm with one another that that wasn't the case. So you guys are still friends. Obviously, we've covered that. Um, <laughs> but have you sacrificed some parts of your friendship? I think I read somewhere in another interview that you don't really hang out on weekends. It's funny. I would say that that's a sacrifice, but we do still end up hanging out on weekends yeah. because we have so many mutual and friends. And we hang out 
all the time not on weekends. Um, So I think we spend most of our weekdays together, um, nights, mornings, everything in between. So I think if we saw each other every weekend, we wouldn't see our husbands. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. I mean, it sounds happy, but I, I I think obviously our friendship has developed a lot as a result of the partnership. I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily been a sacrifice in any regard. I think we've definitely gotten to support each other through really hard moments that each of us have gone through in a way that, you know, is hard as adults to support your friends sometimes when you don't mm-hmm. live really close to them or you don't have the proximity. So, you know, family deaths and things that have happened over the course of our business relationship, we've gotten to support each other professionally and say, hey, like, I know you need to deal with this thing and I've got it if you Mm -hmm. need to go. But also personally to have those mornings where you come in and you're just like, I have to go on a walk and I need to cry and I need you to come with me. Mm -hmm. You guys have been working together for six years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so every partnership presumably has a moment of disagreement. Mm -hmm. How have you handled disagreements and has being friends made handling those disagreements easier or more difficult? It's changing. I mean, I think one of the things that we has actually been really valuable that's come out of the management coach is learning how to fight, basically, because we didn't before. And I think for a long time that actually worked really well. I think it forced us to consider what was worth fighting about, because when you're with somebody all day, every day, and something's irritating you, if you address it, it could throw off the entire day. And I think in a lot of ways it taught me to like, not everything needs to be a conversation. But the flip side of that is you need to be able to have those conversations and recover from them. I think there are a lot of things in the early stage of the business where we had to learn what you could just like, you knew was going to go away by the next day. Mm -hmm. Like what problems were not actually problems. And I think when you're so deep into starting something, you get hung up on the tiniest little things that within a week you're like, oh, that actually didn't matter. And now I think we at least understand what is worth fighting about. This is something I found to be true in my marriage is when it's not worth fighting over. I say that that skill and that technique is one of the most valuable things that I transferred from my business life to my marriage of just like you don't have to fight about everything just because it irritates you. Because yeah. I'm so we used to be so much quicker in my marriage to fight about something. And then I was realizing I was like, I don't need to do this. Right. There's a commitment. Yeah. We're not nobody's leaving. Exactly. So we shouldn't have to fight. Yep. Yeah. Has there been any really bad fights between you two? No, not like a big blowout fight. No. Anything you want to air out here? (laughs) Let's do this now. Let's workshop some things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that we agree about the like big things um, and what the business is supposed to be about, what the underlying themes and principles are. And I think as long as you have that, then the other stuff is all resolvable. We interviewed the founders of Bed Bath & Beyond for our podcast, and they said a really interesting thing. So they've been best friends and business partners for some 40 40 years, years, 45 years. So yeah, they make us look like like nothing. But they said that they never fight because if one of them doesn't want to do it, the other one assumes, well, he's a smart guy. I've entrusted him to be my business partner. There must be a reason he doesn't want to do it. So they just leave it at that. And I'm sure there's more nuance to it than that. And I think it's kind of a different tack than we take. I think we're both like to some extent sort of like stubborn or convinced of our own ideas and we'll listen to the other. But I we don't take that tack. It's an interesting um, philosophy, though. And yeah, it sure. sounds really mature. Right? I know. Mature. I'm like, that's right. lovely. Yeah. That's so nice for them. Right. I'm sure that works great. Yeah. So you say you guys are best friends, mm-hmm. um, but we want to know how well you really know each other. So we thought it'd be fun to play our version of the newlywed game. Exciting. Very excited yes. for this. 
So for those of you uh, born after 1965, <laughs> uh, the Newlywed Game, if you're not familiar, was a game show. Uh, is a game show where pairs of newlyweds are quizzed by the host to see how well they know each other. So. Becca and I are going to pepper you with some questions. Uh, you've already been asked these, so you know <laughs> how you've answered, and we'll see if it matches up between the two of you. I feel pretty confident. Do you? I do. There was one question I wasn't confident about just because I just, well, anyway, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay, so Erica, I want to ask you a question about Claire. Yes. Okay. Is Claire a spender or a saver? Claire is a spender, but she's working toward being a saver. Claire. That's so kind of you. Claire, you said that with such confidence. <laughs> what would you, how would you describe yourself? I'm definitely a spender. I mean, especially when you're putting, juxtaposing me with Erica. I am, I am an excellent spender. <laughs> Supreme spender. <laughs> I'm like great at my job. Great at that role. All right. So you guys got that right? <laughs> All right, Claire. What is the first thing that Erica does when she gets to the office in the morning? I have to remember what I wrote down because I felt really good about it. She makes herself a cup of tea and she opens her little word. She loves these word notebooks that are made in the United States or perfect little size. And she like sort of writes down her daily to do list. She sort of rewrites it and starts it fresh. I think that was the extent of it. Erica, how did she do? She did good. I said, make myself a cup of tea. And I like really <laughs> couldn't think of what else I did when I went well, to the I office. Did, well, I, was, I felt on the fence because sometimes you write that that list on the subway, I think. I do sometimes. Some, or like yeah. at home I, yeah. during breakfast. Yeah, that was the hard. This question was the hard one for me because I'm like, I have a stronger sense of Claire's pre-work morning mm -hmm. probably than like the moment you get there. Because I feel like we both have a whole thing that happens. Yeah, yeah before True. we get to the office. All right. Erica, next question starts with you. If Claire won the lottery, what's the first thing she would buy? She would buy a personal assistant or a driver or both. And those would only take precedence now because she's already had laser hair removal, which would have been the first priority. <laughs> ah, mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of these you know me better than I know myself because I found it really hard to answer this for the same reason that I'm sure you did, which is I finally got laser hair removal and I didn't even have to win the lottery to do it. Yeah, I love that answer because, I mean, definitely aspirational, but like, yeah. so not be a millionaire. lottery winning aspirational. <laughs> so I finally got laser hair removal and I, Erica's absolutely right, personal assistant and a driver. And we've talked about this before like well, in an elevator <laughs> well I went back to this notes app you and I and our friend Jamie Beck oh. got slightly drunk one night last summer and I had written a list in my phone things to buy when you're rich and it's it's there are <laughs> things that are like you know small island kind of things but then there are also things that are like a new bedside table and you're like nope that doesn't need to be on that list right. that's a different list <laughs> an apple watch was on yeah. it right. it's like i don't need that yeah, yeah. you have a new bed mm -hmm. still haven't list. gotten that still also again not lottery money <laughs> but I, really, I really hope it works out for you <laughs> thank you um yeah it was like what else was on there an apartment yeah that's kind of a lottery winning thing if we're talking apartment in this city yes yeah, yeah. all right who would Erica say could be trusted with nuclear codes, Claire. This is a long answer. She would definitely say herself. Um, she's nodding at me. I lose things really easily. I cited this incident last fall when we went to Bed Bath and Beyond and bought a ton of stuff for an event we were doing. And there was this receipt that was like literally six feet long and 
when we it was time to return some of the stuff, I had managed to lose the receipt, which begs the question why I was charged with holding on to the receipt <laughs> to begin with. So I would definitely lose them. But I also said on the flip side of this, Erica proved herself last year to be a very bad secret keeper when it comes to very important information. Because when we were selling our business, and I didn't even know this about her having known her at this point for, I don't know, nearly 15 years. <laughs> I think it's like, it was like social anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I and think it, it's social anxiety that it when was, I'm like, people are like, what's happening? And they're people that, I don't feel comfortable enough just not having a conversation with. Which is perfect because I noted in my answer that it wasn't even like your really close friends. Nope. It was like third tier acquaintances yep. that she really, really liked and didn't want to lie to. But yeah. like, I think it's like I feel bad about lying. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's where I was like, she might blurt it out. She might start telling people she has the nuclear codes. I said myself... And I said that you could certainly be trusted with mm-hmm. the nuclear code. Like, you could be trusted with nuclear arms, mm-hmm. but maybe not the code itself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So here we come to, I believe, our last question. So, Erica, what would you say between you two, who is most likely to end up in jail for a night? This, I... Neither. This is part of the problem um, because one of our aspirations is to be on the Ebro in the Morning Hot 97 show Ride or Die where you basically call someone who you think would ride or die for you, Mm -hmm. like best friend would go to bat for you, person who just like loves you and would do anything for you. But in some cases, you're calling the guy you've been sleeping with for like three weeks on the show like that, <laughs> yeah. like that is it, what it is it, sometimes to be. it's like a just like a test to see like does this person actually care about me at all and we've been wanting to get on the show for a really long time but I think the biggest holdup for us is that we don't have anything that would feel authentically salacious to call Ebro with um so true. to set each other up yeah what did you say I said me I just felt like I <sighs> I just felt like I, I just felt like me. I don't know. It just <laughs> what really. Would you go to jail I just feel for? like yeah. I get I get myself in in trouble more often, <laughs> or like historically have. Erica is like a very. She's like a. She loves rules, right? Mm. Between the two of us, she loves rules. She likes authority. She likes clear cut things. Systems, I, yeah, mm-hmm. systems. I'm not so keen on them, or just not as good at following them. So I don't really. I don't know what it would be for necessarily but I just I think I'd be the more I tried to think of something that you could have gone to jail for in college which would have been like a more potentially imprisonable moment I don't know but I couldn't come up with anything so I like that you think about who could help each other out though I've done that I have a friend where we've talked about how we would be the Al Cowlings to the others OJ (laughs) and be like get in the Bronco like we're going we're going yeah I Come on, OJ. Wanna, that guy has a sad kind of character to me oh, in the story. Very, because oh, yeah. he, because he bought the same car as his yeah, best friend yeah, because he loved him yeah. so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it turned out to be a darker story. Uh, yeah. But uh, at the yeah. time, it seemed fun. So you guys did really, really well. Not surprisingly. Yeah. Right. Um, so you, I guess you passed the test and what you win we, what, the yeah, what do we win? Um, the glory the, the, the joy of friendship. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> you get yes. to be on this cool show called yes. Game Plan. That's <laughs> yes. great. Oh, I really like recording here. I would do it again. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for coming on and talking to us about your friendship. It was really great having you guys. Thank you, thank guys. you this both. So now it's time for Half Baked Takes. Half Baked Takes. Half Baked Takes are takes that we have on work and life outside the work that really 
aren't very fully formed and really perfect for talking about right here at the end of our show. Perfect indeed. I'm very excited. Yeah, so I'm going to lead mm-hmm. so that you can just see how it works and you know get used to this really yeah. difficult process. And my half-baked take is not super work-related, but I'm going to say it's related to work because it's about bar soap and that cleaning yourself before work is something that everybody should be doing. All the time. And I saw an article the other day that said millennials, which is the generation that I belong to, do not use bar soap. And I am not one of those millennials. I love bar soap. I discovered it. Discovered it. I ditched my bath gel maybe three years ago for just Dove bar soap, and it's the most satisfying thing. Now, as I've expressed this opinion, people tell me that I'm gross because other people might use my bar soap and that's gross, or that things get stuck in the bar soap. To which I say, it's soap, first of all. I'm only the really only person who showers in my shower, generally, and I'm not gross. Like, if there's something stuck in it, like, just run it under the water. You know? Totally. Yeah. I also am a bar soap user. Right. But you're of a different generation. So oh, yeah. Like... No, no, no. I actually make my own soap. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds kind of millennial, though. Down by the river. That's true. <laughs> like That's artisanal. very true. Um, it's very Tyler Durden of mm. me. Um, oh. Uh, fight club. Yeah. No, no, I know. Yeah. But I'm like, do you want to like, be like Tyler Durden? <laughs> physically, I would. Okay. Physically, I'm working toward those rock hard abs. Yeah, um, yeah. as you can. We all aspire. I have a body for radio. (laughs) So Um, yeah, that's that's my half baked take for today. Is that I stand by my bar soap, and you can't take it away from me. What do you got, Becca Greenfield? Laying it down. (laughs) Okay, so I was traveling for work last week and was boarding my plane when I had the great privilege and pleasure to be waiting in line with. None other than Joseph Simmons, a.k.a. DJ Run, a.k.a. Reverend Run of Run DMC. And it was an interesting sort of little moment just to have with a celebrity. We were literally standing right next to each other. We could not have been any closer. And as a rule, I don't like speaking to celebrities because I don't really know what is going to come of that interaction. Yeah, like why? Yeah, you know, (laughs) you, you would maybe dream and hope that they would turn to you and be like, would you like to be my best friend? Right. Or what, would you like a job? Yeah. Or like, here's a million dollars. What you just said is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Come with me. I'm going to Zanzibar. And so I didn't want to say anything. And yet I've been such a fan of his since I was a wee one that I felt like I had to do something. So I actually kind of tried to do him a favor, which was that when they called for boarding, I was actually ahead of him in line. And I gestured for him to go in front of me. And this provoked... An interaction. But mm. it seemed, and maybe I'm just fooling myself, but at least it seemed a little bit more genuine because it was actually about something. You had as a, a purpose. It was a purpose. I said, no, I want you to go ahead. And he said, really? Why? And I said, because I'm a big fan and, you know, you should go. <laughs> and that's just something I want to do for you. You you gave me a lot of great music. I'm going to let you get on the plane ahead of me. And it was really nice. And we we did, that happened. And then, like, he smiled and we got on the plane, and later on, like he smiled at me on the flight, and I felt like I had a little connection with, with Reverend Run. As you, so, is the half baked take that like you shouldn't approach famous people unless you have a purpose? I would say so. Okay. Yes, I think that talking to celebrities for the sake of talking to them is pointless, but perhaps being able to offer some sort of gesture or service or or something, if you feel compelled to do it, mm-hmm. that is a, an acceptable way to have your brief moment with, yeah. with that. I think I'm, I'm still too self-conscious. To even do to that. To do anything. Right. 
because I want to be cool. <laughs> so yeah, this has been Half Big Takes. Half Big Takes. This has been another episode of Game Plan. Thanks for listening. For more workplace coverage, check out Bloomberg.com. You can find Claire and Eric on Twitter at Of A Kind, and you can find me at RZ Greenfield. And I am at Sam Grobart. See you next week. Ultimately, G-Money betrays Nino Brown. Nino Brown finds out about this and then confronts him and is about to shoot him. And G-Money's like, but we're friends. And Nino Brown famously says, yeah, it's business, never personal. Wow. I think the lesson here is that your business can be crack or, or an online, online retail. retailer. Yeah, and, it's kind of the same, actually. You no, know, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.